Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. It is a pleasure every week to join together as friends and study the Word of God. My friend Rabbi Dove Lipman, Hag Sameach, happy holidays. Thank you so much. It's certainly uh, the middle of the holiday season here, Sukkot, the Feast of the Tabernacles, so uh Happy holidays, along with the Happy New Year, is certainly a, a wish that's, that's fitting for this time. As you say, a quick series of events. The Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then looking forward to Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. A very festive time, and it seems so smushed together. And of course, these holiday dates were not picked by man, they were picked by the Lord. But within about a three-week period, you have these three major holidays all in a row. Why do you think the Lord put them so close together and didn't spread them out through the rest of the year? Well, there's actually a very specific process that we're going through over here, and that's why they they follow one after the other. Uh, First, you have Rosh Hashanah, which is the first of the year the renewal of creation, we crown God as our king. Uh, Once we recognize God as king, uh, the the very natural next step is begging for atonement for the things that we've done wrong, and that's Yom Kippur. And then we immediately go into one of the most festive holidays of the year, which is Sukkot, the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is called the time of our happiness, because the greatest happiness comes when we have God, when we have forgiveness, that's our time to celebrate. So they really follow one after the other in that sequence. And so let's turn our attention to this week's Torah portion. It is a study of the Word of God, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, Ha-Azinu, and it means to listen or listen in is the Hebrew translation. Ha-Azinu comes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, and Rabbi, remind us where we are in our timeline of the Torah We've studied about Moses for weeks and weeks, but it's coming to an end. It's, Moses has been speaking for 32 chapters. This is the 32nd chapter, giving his last will and testament. And now he's really building towards the end, uh, sort of reaching the climax, which is the poem uh, that's this week's portion. If a person looks at the words, they'll see right away this doesn't look like the regular words of the Torah that we've seen in all the portions uh, leading up till now. It's almost entirely poetry, but he's building towards the big ending and before he passes away, and he's certainly trying to leave the people uh, with some very important messages. And we're going to pick out a few verses in this chapter and comment on them. And, of course, we encourage our listeners to read all of the verses here in Deuteronomy 32. But, Rabbi, it begins with the last verse in the English translation of chapter 31. says, Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were complete. And then 32 verse 1, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. It's a bold statement for a speaker to stand up and say, let all of heaven and earth listen to what I have to say. 
Absolutely. It's a very strong statement. And the commentaries basically explain that Moses was sort of calling heaven and earth to be witness you know, for him because they're going to be around forever. Um, so even though Moses is going to pass away, he appoints them, these eternal beings or uh, ideas, as witnesses uh, to the words that he's saying so they can always, so to speak, serve as a reminder to them of what Moses taught to them. And verse... Two, he says, let my teaching drop as the rain and all of these things where my speech will continue on forward. Verse three, I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. And Rabbi, what I want to talk about is the contrast between verse four and verse five. Verse four, the rock, his word is perfect. All his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. That is verse number four. Then verse number five begins a series of judgments and calling out the people for their sin. It starts with verse five. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. What I want to say, Rabbi, it seems so stark. The justice and holiness of God in verse four, the sinfulness of mankind in verse five. And I think that Moses is actually making that point. I mean, in verse 5, he's actually saying corruption is not his. It's, a, it's his children. They're the ones that have been perverse. God created a world where we could be uh, perfect and reach the greatest of spiritual heights. And it's the children, uh, so to speak, who have corrupted it. And uh, Moses wants the people to understand that he's a God of justice. If you do right, he will reward you in kind. If you do wrong, he punishes you in kind. And that's the way the world is set up. And again, starting in verse 5 and all the way through for uh, dozens of verses, it talks about the sinfulness of the people. And this is the warning that Moses gave. When you enter the promised land, because I'm not going, you are, don't fall away from the Lord. So the question is, is this like a prophecy from the prophet saying, I don't want this to happen, but this will happen? There's no doubt that mixed in here, uh, Moses is definitely sprinkling with prophecy, letting the people understand that this is what is going to happen. But I, I think he's, he's framing it as a warning and asking each generation to rise up and not be the ones who are the ones to fail and not be the ones who stray away from God. So there's sort of this combination that's happening. But either way, he's trying to use it for sure, for sure, as a strong, strong warning. And there's lots of very... Uh, strong statements of indictment that you didn't remember the Lord, that you forsook God who made you, verse 15, and scorned the rock of his salvation. And a sad phrase that I think we ought to focus on for a moment, verse 16, they made him jealous with strange gods. What a sad statement of, of almost the, the imagery of committing spiritual adultery. Yes, uh, that's the terminology, by the way, uh, throughout the prophets, we have terminology used in that way as well, in terms of there's been a marriage, so to speak, between God and the people of Israel, and when they go to foreign gods, they're straying from that. Uh, that's a symbolism which is used, and no doubt uh, it starts to be used uh, in this section as well. Again, Moses is, is speaking poetically, but definitely capturing that message. You neglected the rock who begot you, verse 18. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Then he said, verse 20, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. 
Verse 21, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So, Rabbi, we always struggle with this. God is an eternal God. He makes covenants. He never breaks his promise. He never will leave us or forsake us is what Moses told Joshua and Joshua says to the people and God repeats to Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yet we have these verses where it says he turned his back on us or he couldn't, in, in sort of more crass language, he couldn't stand us anymore. How do we deal with that? So we have a concept that uh, the Torah speaks in human terms. Uh, we, we take God and we give him human characteristics just so that we can understand it more. God doesn't change. God isn't like us, a, a being that gets angry. Um, but it's for us to be able to understand it that way, as if he's jealous, as if he can't handle us. But we know when it's all said and done, God is always there for us and always waiting for us and very patient for us. Um, but at the same time, does interact with the world with punishment uh, when it's necessary. So a lot of these terminologies that we see here are, uh, are symbolisms of sorts. Uh, they're, they're capturing God as if he were a human being, even though we know he's not. And for the student who takes the time to go through Deuteronomy 32, they can look up references to places and events where Moses is saying, this is not just my theory or my guess, I can give you examples in our past as a people. We walked away from the Lord here. We disobeyed the Lord here. We rejected him here. So he's using historical examples to give us a warning about the future. Absolutely. And I, Moses, uh, we've discussed this throughout Deuteronomy, is trying to find any way to motivate the people. And if the fear is going to do it, that's great. Other times he turned towards love and talked about all the things that God has done for us. Uh, each time he finds what he feels the people need to hear. And maybe he's actually speaking to different people in different ways and wants all, you know, various groups to hear different messages. Uh, but either way, the goal is warning, 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 and trying to inspire the people. So we look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, all the way till verse 35. These warnings of judgment, warnings of punishment for sin, yet we get to verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? He's going to say, hey, you tried everything else. You tried all the false idols of the world and none of them were spiritually fulfilling. Here I am. And that's the goal. The goal is that the people should realize that no matter what, he'll always be there waiting for their return. And that's what the covenant says. The covenant doesn't say that everything's going to always be wonderful. The covenant says that I'll always be here for you when you turn back to me. And that's something which we see throughout our history has proven, has proven to be true. Uh, we have sinned. We have strayed. Uh, we did warrant exile. Uh, but God, despite everything, remained, and now we're blessed today to see all the incredible open miracles that are taking place. He was always there waiting for us to come back to him. Verse 44, Then Moses came, so after the speech is over, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He with Joshua, the son of Nun, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, he said, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today which you shall command your sons to observe carefully even all the words of this law, 
For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan River to possess. Moses says, please, please don't ignore my warnings. And yet we're sad to learn as we keep reading. That's exactly what happens. And he's also, throughout this, he's mentioned what is going to draw you away. It's going to be physicality. It's going to be the material world. These are the things that are going to pull you away. So he's very much contrasting spiritual versus the physical and, and always reminding us uh, that, that, that he will be there for us uh, if we turn the spiritual. But if we get intoxicated in the physical, if we get fattened ourselves up with the physical, uh, it's going to pull us away and all these terrible things will happen. As we come toward the end of a short portion, this is Deuteronomy 32, verse 48. And these last verses, 48 through 52, are really a different scene. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up to this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for a possession. So this is in the east side of the Jordan River, in the modern-day country of Jordan, not in the land of Canaan or Israel today. And Moses is getting to see it from a distance, but he doesn't get to enter the land. And what a, what a statement. The Lord says, verse 50, Then die on the mountain where you ascend and be gathered to your people, which means buried in a family tomb, as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel, for you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving the sons of Israel. And Rabbi, we'll talk about the waters of Meribah in just a moment, what that scene was, but talk about this last chance. Go up, get a good view, you don't get to go there. Yes, you know, to our, to our eyes and ears, this almost sounds like torture. But somehow, for Moses, uh, this is at least something for him. He wanted to at least see it to understand what it's all about. But it is very painful uh, to read it, to, to recognize that this is the chance that Moses had. I'll tell you this, it certainly strengthens the happiness of recognizing the blessing that we have, that we get to live in the land of Israel. It's almost unthinkable that Moses is only allowed to look at it, and then he's going to die, and we are able to enter into it. But it's a painful uh, a few verses to read, uh, but we have to remind ourselves that for Moses, that in and of itself was a blessing that he's going to be able to actually see it, even though for us, we'd rather have him experience it in full. Uh, this wasn't teasing him. This was God saying, uh, you'll get something, and somehow for Moses, this was something. And... In many cases, when you read the Bible, it'll mention names and places and events and people, and they assume you know the stories, and sometimes it requires you to do a little homework to connect the dots. And Deuteronomy 32, verse 51, you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh. And so I will turn the attention of our listeners from the book of Deuteronomy to the book of Numbers, chapter 20, and it begins with the people in the beginning of chapter 20 complaining in the wilderness to Moses and Aaron that they don't have any water, they're thirsty. And so what does the Lord say? He said to Moses in verse 8, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, speak 
to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their animals drink. Verse 9, So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he commanded him. And Moses gathered the assembly with Aaron before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth for you water out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hands and struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Verse 13, These were the waters of Meribah. So we understand Deuteronomy 32 by studying Numbers 20. And in Numbers 20, Moses' anger, his frustration, his lack of patience came over him. He called the people rebels. He pretended as if he could provide the water instead of it being a miracle of God. He struck the stones twice instead of speaking to it. And so, as we've talked about, even Moses has to suffer consequences for his sin and this is what's described at the end of chapter 32. And it's interesting that God uh, that feels the need to sort of bring it back and explain to us again exactly how it played out and what it was for. But I think that's also part of the message. If Moses is warning the people over and over again about the consequences of their actions, what better way to show that than for it to be, again, reminded that there were consequences for his actions, even if his actions weren't as horrific as uh, the, the, the rebellions of the people of Israel. But for Moses on his level, that was enough. And that's an important reminder for the people to have at this time. So as we come to the end of chapter 32, this short Torah portion of the week, we see Moses, in one sense, he's being punished for his sinfulness that we read about from Numbers chapter 20. But also, this is the time in the Lord's perfect divine calendar to pass the baton to hand the baton to Joshua. So it's not only punishment for the sin of Moses, but it's also the Lord's strategy for the new generation of leader to take charge. For sure. And, and you see the concern that Moses had throughout about uh, the leadership and the continuity. And by the way, you see the fear that there was. Let's remember, going back to the sin of the golden calf for a moment, way, way back in Exodus, the people thought Moses was gone, and it led them to idolatry. That's the way they, they saw Moses as the mediator between them and God. Now Moses is going to be replaced. Can he be replaced? And Moses over and over again is making sure that the people do know there's a succession, there's Joshua, it's going to continue. And that's why we're going to learn later that they don't even know where Moses is buried. We don't want to turn that into a place of idolatry either. This is, this is Moses, one of his number one concerns uh, is that the people move on, they continue with a new leader, and it shows a great sense of responsibility that he has to the people of Israel that he makes sure. And as we come to the end of this Torah portion, just one chapter, Deuteronomy number 32, it seems a little bit disjointed if you look at it in one way, Rabbi, that we're in the middle of all these readings and all these scriptures about the holidays, and yet the weekly Torah portion continues. You continue to, to march along through the scriptures, even in the midst of the holiday season. Absolutely. We continue moving forward, uh, and that's why this week we have this portion. Uh, it's always mixed in, and we always try to find, by the way, 
connections between the portion and what's happening. There's certainly a lot here about atonement, a lot here about repercussions for things that we do wrong and, and the need to be close to God. And that certainly connects very, very deeply uh, to what's happening in this, in this holiday season. So take a moment and describe for the listeners, most of them living in the U.S., talk about what your family is experiencing, your holiday celebrations of the past week and the week ahead. So the day before Yom Kippur, we, we, there's actually a commandment to eat on that day. Uh, so we had two big festive meals, and it's festive. It's a festive time as we prepare for God's atonement. Then we went into 25 hours of fasting, spending most of the time, except for the sleeping time, uh, in the synagogue, praying, uh, atoning for our sins. Then we come back home again afterwards, and we eat. We break the fast. We go right into the preparation for the holiday of Sukkot. We went out and we bought, there's four species that we use uh, uh, from things that grow from the ground in the service of God uh, on the holiday of Sukkot. And then this, today, right to building the Sukkah. And the Sukkah preparations will continue. And then Sunday night, we're going to actually go into the Sukkah and make it our dwelling place for the week. Sleeping there, eating there, relaxing there, uh, a temporary hut. Uh, outside of our home, which represents the fact that uh, take away our beautiful homes that we all have, and God still takes care of us. We still have God's shelter. Really a beautiful experience to live under the elements and recognize that. And the last question for you, give us a sense of the spiritual power, the spiritual awakening that happens during this time of the year. Certainly in Israel, you feel it everywhere you go, just a joy, a, a connection, a unity of purpose. It's really difficult to describe uh, without experiencing it. I know there are tens of thousands of Christians that come to Israel for the holiday of Sukkot and experience it themselves, uh, but you really feel it everywhere. When it, when it comes to a close, you almost don't want want it to go away. You don't want it to end. You just want it to stay uh, because it's such a joyous, festive, spiritual time and you can literally feel it in the air. So we do want to say to our friends in the land of Israel, Shana Tovah, Hag Sameach, Shabbat Shalom. It's a busy and beautiful time of the year. Absolutely. Shabbat Shalom and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.